I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in, an ever, in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. For he, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit they made, and the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known, he has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Our New Testament reading from John. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been, so, been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning again. Good to be with you as always. I'm Clay, one of the pastors here. Delight and privilege as always to preach and to uh, really submit to God's word with you as we come before uh, God's word. We are all uh, but men, as the psalm would say, right? So we go through uh, a series every summer. We're starting over. We used to have cute little ideas about groups of psalms that are according to a theme, but now we're just going, starting at one, right? Going through the canonical order of the psalms. We've seen a, psalms of wisdom like Psalm 1, right? This is, uh, blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, kiss the sun lest you perish in the way. Uh, we've seen numerous complaint psalms, you may call them, 
I just thought that was a funny term for them, but that is basically what's happening, right? There's, there's a problem, God, I need your help with it. Uh, arise, oh God, language like that, again, we see here in this psalm. We had a psalm of praise in Psalm 8, now we come to Psalm 9. Uh, this psalm, a uh, little, some Bible trivia for you. Uh, is widely considered to be an acrostic psalm. So this is a psalm uh, in which, if you look at it through the Hebrew, you'll see it starts with the letter A, uh, Aleph in Hebrew, and goes through the Hebrew alphabet, uh, starting with each line with a letter of the alphabet. This is a common uh, technique. It's used in the Book of Lamentations, used famously in Psalm 119. If it is an acrostic, then it's actually a joint psalm with Psalm 10, uh, and so the two are connected. Uh, and what we see here is verses 1 through 12 could almost be a psalm by themselves, a testimonial psalm, right? Look at what God has done for me. Uh, it sort of bookends there, right, with singing the praises of God. But then the praise of God takes a turn, and so we see it take a turn to more of a complaint-type psalm like we've seen before. So this psalm connects what God has done to a complaint, right? To saying, God, you've worked for me before, work for me again. And there's a lot of language uh, in here as I, I struggled, I realized I put a word before you that's not in the text, but my hope is that it sort of threads a needle through a bunch of the language of the text. This language of knowing or seeing or remembering or by contrast forgetting or praising all seems to me to be orbiting this word uh, I summarize as recognition. This psalm teaches us how to recognize God. And it puts before us that we are, in fact, ourselves recognized by God. And as we'll see from the New Testament as well, we are recognized by God in Christ, and therefore we ought to recognize uh, his work as well. So three meanings of recognition we'll walk through, perceiving, praising, and pleading. And as we do this, uh, let's go in prayer to our God. God, we pray you would enrich our understanding. We pray you would give us understanding. The ability to see what we cannot without you see. The ability to praise you for that which without you our hearts cannot sing. And Lord God, we pray that we would plead. We pray we would come begging for your mercy, begging for you, knowing that you are the one to whom indeed we must come. God, we pray that uh, as, as you are working these things in us, we would have a greater understanding of your mercy, a greater understanding of your justice, and cleave more to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, some of you may be aware that I was in a car accident a few months back. Uh, right out here, you might actually be able to see where a car hit me if you look out this window over here. Uh, turning into this church building, into our neighborhood, uh, and when that happened, uh, so I was basically a sitting duck. I had my blinker on, I was just sitting, waiting for cross traffic to clear so I could turn left. And a car, apparently seeing me a little too late, attempting to swerve off to its right, uh, took the back wheel off my car. It went flying down the road. <laughs> my car spun around, luckily the traffic had cleared by that time so I was not hit by anybody else on the other side of the road. Uh, what do you think I was thinking at the time that that was happening? <laughs> and if you were, well, if you were in the car, I mean, you might be thinking to yourself, but if you were sort of, you know, a disembodied observer in the car, you would have seen me crying out to God, right, in a very tangible, straightforward way. 
saying, God, please help, right at the top of my lungs. I was literally screaming out for God's help as I spun around uh, helplessly, having no idea what was happening. Uh, and so when I left the vehicle, there was another uh, car that stopped to help me, which thank, thank God for them as well. Uh, they, what they saw is me get out. They were trying to talk to me, and all I was doing was praising God. <laughs> I, was just, I was leaning on my car and going, God, thank you for sparing my life. Like, <laughs> those were like the actual words of my mouth. Uh, because at that point, it was pretty hard to ignore the fact that there but for the grace of God go I, right? Uh, I, when you see his salvation in, in no uncertain terms, right? Uh, without, without, if so many things would have happened different, I would be dead, right, at this moment. Uh, but God uh, intervened and spared my life, and so that was my praise. Now, uh, last night there was a big storm, and I was driving uh, again with my children in the car. Uh, as the storm is going on, it's just an absolute deluge, deluge, I don't know how to say that, you know what I mean? Uh, and so uh, we're driving back, and I'm... Right, I'm starting to, I don't feel quite the sense that I had spinning around helplessly in my car, uh, but still there is a sense with me that, and, and especially thinking of my children, God, would you be merciful, right, at this time. Uh, what's happening in those times uh, is that I'm seeing my need for God, right? I'm seeing and, and I'm having some f exercising faith, right? God can do something about this. I'm, I'm recognizing that there's a God that works in the world. We've all had these moments where, was that just a coincidence or was that God at work? The question, is it odd or is it God? Is God, is God working in some special way in my life right now? Uh, that's the question this psalm puts before us. I mean, it confronts us with it. It's not so much a question to him. He's saying there is a God who works, right? Uh, James 1 tells us in, in more certain terms, I would say, uh, every uh, good and perfect gift is from the Father of heavenly lights. There is no shadow, there is no change. Everything good, everything good at all comes from God. And so the question of, was that God working to protect me or did I just happen to get lucky, right? Did I just happen to not be hit in just the right way? Did, did God just so happen to orchestrate the vehicles on the road last night as I drove home with my kids to protect us? Uh, James would say, it, there's no doubt about it. 100% is a gift from God. There is a God who works in the world, who works every good thing for us. And the reason this is a struggle, I think the most basic reason for us to apprehend would be that we can't see it, right? We can't see God as a spirit. He doesn't have a body. If, if we actually saw a hand reaching down from the heavens and doing these things, right, it would be a little bit more easy for us to accept, perhaps. Uh, but we, do, we don't see God. And so some of us struggle with this almost at an intellectual level, right? There's views out there. One would be something like deism, if you've heard that word before. And this is a view that basically, sure, there's a creator, Somebody has to have made all this stuff. But it's not as though he continues to actually operate in the world. He kind of, the famous watchmaker analogy, God sort of wound the watch and then set it down and walked away. And now the watch is just kind of ticking on its own, right? There's nothing else God is doing. So we have a creator maybe, uh, possibly, or even certainly, but uh, we do not have a God who intervenes in the world, a God who is sovereign, who... Uh, exercises his lordship in the world and works all things for his good purposes. Or we have 
maybe at a heart level, right? Our own doubts. We maybe intellectually say, yeah, yeah, there's a God, check, check the box of the Westminster Confession, the Bible, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but in our actual uh, lived experience, uh, we, we struggle, right? We have doubts. We you know, go through times where it seems like things are just kind of random. And right, to some degree, the, the laws of probability do take effect, right? If you flip a coin a number of times, uh, it's gonna average out to be 50-50. Uh, and yet, we're to tr somehow trust that which outcome lands which time, right, is somehow worked by the mysterious power of God. That's a struggle for us, we can doubt it. Or maybe even at a practical level, like we, you know, might not be a hard thing, might not be a head thing, it's just kind of, all I, all I can really control is what's in front of me, and so like it doesn't even help me to think about that God is in control, kind of a down-to-earth sort of approach. These are the, the ways we struggle to see God, uh, either with our minds, with our hearts, or with our hands. And against all of this, we find these words in verse three and four. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. Right, here's, here's David in a battle scene. He has enemies, uh, right? And they're coming to get him and they're, he is victorious. And one option is to say, wow, that was, I'm really glad it worked out like that. That was really good luck I had. Or, you, or he could say, aren't I awesome, right? I have defeated my enemies. They've fallen before me. How great am I? But instead, David says, when my enemies turn back, it's you, God, that they stumble and turn back. Or in verse 15 and 16, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Now here's interesting, because he's talking about this is God working, right? But he says, in the work of their own hands. So it's really, they did it to themselves. There's a sense in which they brought it on themselves, right? There's a very human level we could look at this and say they kind of, you know, wily coyote themselves, right? They set this trap and then they, they fell in it. Like, they, they kind of sort of poetic justice got what they deserved in the end. But David says, the Lord has made himself known in this. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The work of the wicked against themselves is also the work of God executing his judgments, right? So what we need is faith, right, to look out and see how is God working in the world. He is working in ways we can't see, uh, in ways that aren't always, right, convenient uh, for so kind of our self-help motivation, right? <laughs> we kind of, we want to make it, it's all about what we can do and what we can see and what we can affect in the world, and yet there is a God working all good things, all things even together for the good of those who love him. But what about evil, right? There's evil, certainly, in the world. Is this somehow worked by God? I think we have to be careful here because the scriptures speak very cautiously. But I think a good example of this is in Genesis chapter 50 when Joseph, who right, has had a, a, a very terrible thing befall him, his brothers have betrayed him, nearly, nearly agreed to kill him, but instead decide to do something only slightly less evil, sell him into slavery, right? And they've sold him there, and he has spent years in prison, awaiting vindication, awaiting God to do something. And then, of course, he's brought out. He becomes uh, 
basically second only to Pharaoh, leads the country uh, in uh, enduring the famine and helping those uh, outside of themselves endure it as well. His brothers come crawling back and he says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I think those words are so interesting. You meant evil, right? The, the, the people in this psalm meant to hurt David, right? They had bad intentions. Their idea was, we're gonna get David. And somehow God means their evil act for good. Somehow, some way, God is not the author of evil. From him, is, he, is, he, he cannot do evil. He cannot even tempt people to evil, we know from the scriptures. And yet he is working even the evil deeds of people in the world for his good purpose. That's a great mystery, but it's a great truth and a great comfort to us, right? Do you recognize God is at work in your life? Do you believe, right, when you look around, is this just random chance? Is this because you worked hard that, you're here, that we're all here enjoying ourselves, right, in this worship service this morning? Or has God brought us here? The question of we need to see God at work is the first step in recognition. And a second would be praising. So as we look 7 through 12, uh, we see that recognizing is praising or honoring, right? As we talked about this in the children's sermon a little bit, but the idea of you're being recognized for your efforts, right? I, I not only see what you're doing, but I'm, I'm giving you honor. I'm saying what you're doing is good. Here's a question. Why do we need to praise God at all? Or do we, are we doing him a solid when we, when we offer him praise? Is God like Tinkerbell? Like if... If he doesn't exist unless enough people believe in him, unless enough people, does he kind of like need us to exist, right? Is he just kind of this abstraction that needs our validation? That's of course not the God of the Bible. The one who is the uncreated one, the Alpha and the Omega, who made all things, right? So why does he demand our praise? We're reading uh, in the book club we just started, Augustine's Confessions, and there's this great part where he actually asks this question. He says, you know, who am I that you would demand my love? Right, he says that to God like, who, who am I that you would demand my love and threaten such great woes if I don't give it to you, right? Why do you need me? And then I think he, he answers it sort of in a little aside where he says, surely not to love you is already a great woe. I love that uh, phrase. Why do we love God? Because I think just very basically, it is right, right? We have to praise the praiseworthy, right? If he is the most praiseworthy, the most high, then he is deserving of all our praise. There's a, an old piece of liturgy called the Sursum Corda, which is Latin for lift up, the lifting up of hearts. You may have heard it before if you've been to a more traditional church, uh, but the idea of lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us give praise to the Lord our God sometimes. Sometimes they say it is proper and right to do so, or it is uh, right to give him both thanks and praise, something like that. Now, we, the, the reason they don't answer, uh, you know, 
yeah, we need to cheer up God. Maybe he's having a down day. Maybe he could use the encouragement, right? <laughs> like, there's a reason we don't answer it that way. We're answering, it is right to give him thanks and praise, right? And this goes back, of course, to why are we here? Uh, we, as our confession says, are here to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? We exist for God's praise. Uh, why do people tell their spouses that they love them? There's a, I like the Jeff Foxworthy bit, I think it was that, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, I told you I love you once. If anything changes, I'll let you know, you know. <laughs> Is that a good, like, policy on telling your spouse that you love them? Probably not, right? <laughs> This, this idea of, this is, right, one set aside for you. You're, you're to forsake all others. And it, it, you know, it also wouldn't be good to say, I love you, and I love lots of others, too, right? You know, I, I'm just, I love lots of people, right? No, you in particular, and you the most high, right? Like, you are number one on my list to your spouse, right? Because you have a special relationship with them. The scriptures say the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Right, if, we're, if praise is sort of recognizing, right, is sort of saying who or what is right and good, we are to praise God simply to say, you are, you are the most high, you are the most worthy, you are the most perfect. It would really screw up our moral compass too, by the way, right, if we, if we didn't do that. Like if we said, oh, God's okay, but he can be improved upon a little bit, right? That would not be right, right? We, we, we would be following ourselves and, and not God. So how does he praise him here? Well, you look at seven and eight and you can see, uh, first is the eternal judge, right? The righteous one. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. He is right in everything he declares. His, his rules are to be obeyed, right? And when he brings about judgment, it's for good. Then we see in the following verse, uh, starting in nine, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. It makes me think of the freeway overpasses uh, that I was driving under last night and the, the absolute rain downpour, but then just, just for that brief second when you go under, it's like dead silence. You, you, know, you ever have that experience? That refuge, that here comes the storms of life for those who are afflicted, for those who are troubled, and here is God to shelter them. Those who know your name put their trust in you. And there's a number of, uh, if you want to impress somebody, by the way, at a cocktail party, or I don't know if you're ever going to those, but just at a, some social gathering, right? If you want to impress somebody, you can say, apophatically speaking, and that is to say, by negation. So there's this, whole stream of theology called apathetic theology. So we saw who God is, but what does he, what doesn't he do in the psalm? That's a very interesting question. Look at verse 10. Those who know your name put their trust in you for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Verse 12, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The hope of the poor shall not perish forever. This is a God who cannot fail to do good, right? How perfect is he? The needy will not be forgotten. The hope of the poor will not always be lost. God will come and God will work 
and he is already working and praise be to him for it, right? So as we think about these things, do you have such confidence? Do you have praise for God in your life? Do you not only see that he's working, but do you give thanks and glory and recognize the goodness and the glory of his work? Lastly, there's a plea, and as I said, we're gonna get more into this next week, I think kind of starting from 13 here through 10, if indeed these are connected, we see a lot more of this plea, right? This extended introduction through 12 is to say, you are a God who works, and your works are praiseworthy. Would you work again? Uh, And the link here is verse 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, O you who lift me up from the gates, that I may recount your praises. So you seeing what he's doing here. Maybe you've done this when when you're a kid. Sometimes when you're a kid, you give the adult reasons, right, for things that you want. I don't know if you've ever done this. I have this vivid memory of me in high school explaining to my dad why I should get an unlimited texting plan. And, you know, it's like, I just think it'd be very, it would help for my education and responsibility and growth and maturity, right? Like, that's not the reason I want the plan, right? But I'm giving him the reasons that will be compelling to him. We know God is zealous for his praise. He's not an egomaniac. He is righteous, right? If we don't praise him, if we don't praise the source of all goodness, you know, what are we doing? And so he's coming saying, help me praise you, God. Give me another thing to be excited about, praising you, that you would deliver me here. It's a good way to pray. Give God the reasons he wants to hear. But of course, from the heart. 19 and 20, I think summarize the plea aspect of this. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. For the na- let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know they are but men. At this point, I think there, there might be people here saying, yes, sir, I believe in a God who works. I, when I see his good deeds, I praise him for it, but I have been pleading and pleading and pleading. I have said, arise, O Lord, and yet men prevail. How can we plead with God in confidence that he will work? I think the plea, first of all, answers a bit of this in itself, right? The fact that he's pleading is telling us he doesn't have everything he thinks he needs from God, right? It doesn't end at 12. We go into, into, God, you work all this. You're holding justice. You're so great. And please work in my life, right? There's more to be done, right? Just by itself, we're seeing this is not a believe in God and it's sunshine and rainbows forever scenario. But we're also seeing that he, he does know who can work for him. I don't have everything I need from God, but I know it's from God that I need what I need. That's what a plea is, the recognition that not everything from God we have yet, and yet it's him that needs to give it to us. You might be saying, I just don't see him. I just can't praise him because I'm, I'm not seeing it. How can I plead? How can I recount his wondrous deeds? As we turn to the New Testament, in our reading, we saw Philip on the eve that Jesus was betrayed. 
and he is having a recognition problem. <laughs> He's saying, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Give, you gotta give me something, right? Lord, you gotta give me something to go off of here. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe in account of the works themselves. By the way, he follows this up with, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. How can we have that confidence? The confidence Philip lacked, right? What, what is he not seeing? What he's not seeing is that in Jesus Christ, the Son of God was not recognized. He was not seen. Although he came as the glory of the only Son from the Father, he had not the form of majesty that we should look upon him. And though he was praised at times, most wondered, right? And ultimately, it was those who saw his works that conspired murder against him. And finally, his, his pleas were not answered when he said, deliver me from this cup, Father. Jesus Christ was not recognized so that you would be recognized before God. So I think of 2 Corinthians chapter five, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. See, we have new way of looking at the world, right? Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, right? Let's praise God. He has worked, right? This isn't something I did. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. You ready for a plea? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. In Christ, we are reconciled to God. God sees you. He knows your struggle with sin. He connects you to his own son and recognize, how, how recognized are we, right? God praises and exalts you, right? You are well-pleasing in his sight as one connected to his son. And he's pleading with you and through you. God is saying, be reconciled. Be reconciled to Christ and know that whatever providence you have from God, whatever else you have from God, he has not forgotten the cry of the afflicted. The hope of the poor will not perish forever. If he has worked this reconciliation in you, his work with you is not finished. He will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. So do you recognize him, church? Do you see with eyes of faith all that your father is doing? Do you praise him with a heart of joy? 
And can you plead with all the more confidence knowing that Christ has brought you near? Christ has recognized you, recognize his work. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, all things are from you and for you. To you be the glory. God, would you help us to see? Would you help us to praise? Would you help us to ask for more? To come to you as your son taught us that you already know our desires and yet to come asking, Lord, deliver me from evil. God, will we plead with you as those reconciled? Will we plead with the world to be reconciled? Help us to know and love you, to see your work and to rejoice that all things are under your judgment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand.